The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, man, how's your week going, bud? So far, so good. You know, a couple things. One, I am a huge NASA and space nerd, and it's the we just passed the 50th anniversary of the moon landing, and man walking on moon, and if you are a person that doesn't believe in that, like it's a conspiracy, please stop listening to us immediately. And go jump off a bridge because that's where, you, that's, that's where you should go. But um, so that's that. But also weirdly, and like this literally just happened. I got that kamikaze nausea. I was literally fine five minutes ago. And now I'm sweating like, oh, I think I might have to go pray to a porcelain bowl here in a few minutes. Like this is not good. Not having any crushing chest pains or anything like that, right? This isn't, this isn't the big is one. Is that bad? Yes, is this no. bad? Is chest pain and shortness of breath is is that bad with this diaphoresis? I don't know what's going on. But I'm also super excited because we are finishing up Mental Health Month, and we have a special guest. Do you want to introduce him, Benjamin? I sure would. So yeah, we have a psychiatric nurse practitioner on the show tonight, Eric. Hey man, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks guys for having me. I really appreciate it. So Eric, how long have you been a psychiatric nurse practitioner? So I am coming up on the four-year mark, I think, in December. Awesome. And we were talking a little bit pre-production. That was actually your entire goal. Like, you know, because I know a lot of people go out and get their FNP, and then they'll go back and get kind of dual certified and get their psychiatric nurse practitioner. But yours is just the psychiatric nurse practitioner, right? Yeah, correct. So kind of my background, I worked as a float tech, and I also played college football in a very terrible Division II school in Missouri. And um, so because I'm on the bigger side, I got floated to the psychiatric unit quite a bit and had the opportunity to see a psychiatric nurse practitioner work down there. And I'm one of the lucky ones that kind of knew that this is what I wanted to do from the very beginning. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I find it always amazing in the male nursing aspect, being not a small guy myself, that when I did work float pool, it's amazing how often if there was a problem or they needed somebody, I always seemed to end up on psych. I just found that odd that guys always seem to get floated up there. Yeah, psych and one-to-one staff supervision for patients with dementia. Oh, yeah. That's all I did during the <laughs> Yeah, yes. A lot of... Yeah. Many times in the ER when I'd walk into the room, they're like, oh, shit, they called security. I'm like, no, I'm your nurse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially if it was a guy that was a little handsy with the female staff. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to take over his care now. 
I yeah. got room five. So go ahead and just give me just give me their meds and we'll go from there. It, it honestly, it usually took one time of me walking in and going, I'm here to give you a catheter of oh, suddenly they could behave perfectly. It's amazing. I worked as an emergency trauma nurse for three years before grad school. And uh, uh, same thing. Yeah. Same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. So what position of football did you play? Because I'm uh, guessing guard. Well, so in high school, I played offensive center and defensive end, but getting to college, you know, being six foot one, 220 pounds, isn't quite the right size for so like offensive outside line. linebacker. Yeah. So I actually ended up transitioning to a, a fullback position. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Nope. Played a lot of fullback and uh, linebacker myself. So, hey, I understand. It's a, I loved it. Every play, I was like, I get to run full speed and hit somebody. I was like, Jesus, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, way better than having to stand there and let a linebacker come and hit you. So. Oh, yeah. Or or receiver. Like, oh, you're going to run a fly route for no reason. Go 60 yards downfield and then walk back. Like, hell no, 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 no. <laughs> Seven yards. I'm going to run into you. <laughs> it's going to be done. <laughs> so there you go. It was amazing. So, okay. So enough of that. We could talk about that all night, Eric. So, and oh, for I know sure. Ben's a big football guy as well. So, oh, don't we could be into that. So let's just keep this trade moving. We'll get back to that later. Ben? Yes, sir. Oh, so the listeners don't know. We found out in pre-production, Eric said, you guys sound like a bunch of bumble fucks. I've never listened to your show before. And so he doesn't know what's coming up. <laughs> so, Eric, this is, uh, <laughs> I'm totally putting wow. words in Eric's mouth. Uh, <laughs> this is a, uh, Ben's favorite part of the show. So, Ben, would you grace us with the social media shout out? I sure will. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web. We're at www.justsomepodcast.com. You can email us, admin at justsomepodcast.com. Also, don't forget that you can find us on our podcast hosting device. That is justsomepodcast.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. And we are also on Helium Radio. That is Helium Radio Network, Helium Radio After Dark, Channel 2, Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Tom, what else can they do, man? Did you mention YouTube? Did I hear YouTube in there? Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I was so mesmerized by that golden voice (laughs) that I thought for a minute i i had missed that so what else they can they what else oh my god words are hard, words are hard. So what else can they do ben they can give us some ratings or reviews they can tell all their friends on any of those social media sites that you just listed they can also go to our website at the very bottom of the page is the amazon affiliate link which they can click on and then go do all their amazon shopping that link is used quite a bit so we know you guys know where it's at thank you so much for supporting the show it costs you nothing you can shop just like nothing has ever happened but before before we're done with the social media yes we got a couple things to talk about social media wise ben we we do tom so we have been talking the last several weeks and we were in 49 states tom we had one holdout state vermont and i'm happy to report tom as of this weekend Maybe it was Jamie's episode. I don't know. But as of this weekend, we have all 50 states, Tom. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for getting your damn act together, you troll-dwelling jerk faces up there in uh-huh. Vermont. But I'm glad. I know you said I have to be nice. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, But, I mean, look, don't you imagine Keebler Elves when you think of people from Vermont? Like, seriously. 
No, I'm the sure EO fudge cookies are being produced at high rates of speed in that state. I know it. So, well, they, I mean, they're known they're known for like maple syrup, waffles and super troopers. Like, do they really have a lot going on up there? I don't well, think so. After that, I at least I guess we got it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Well, I love them. I'm glad. I mean, you can't have pecan waffles or pancakes without maple syrup. So, I mean, they are contributing something, I guess. So, I mean, we got that. So, hey, Vermont, thanks for joining the damn party. It's about time. But speaking of joining the party, go ahead, yeah, sir. I'm super excited. So we have Eric. So, you know, and maybe you could diagnose this later with our illusions of grandeur or something. But we have two hashtag missions on the show that we've developed. The first one being uh, we want to be played in Antarctica. So hashtag mission Antarctica. Yeah. So that way we could say we had global dominance. So we were on all seven continents. The last one is hashtag Mission Galactica. Somehow we're going to get played on the International Space Station or just download in space in general. But I'm assuming it has to be at the space station. That would be pretty impressive, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, we are able to uh, check one of those off, aren't we, Tom? That's right. Mission Antarctica is a success, Ben. We have been what? verified not once, but multiple times now to have been downloaded in Antarctica. I don't want to give away specific details because apparently, unbeknownst to me, there there's just stuff you don't talk about in Antarctica, which was a that's a whole nother episode for other reasons. But basically, we were told that I could say a foreign country. I'll say a foreign country. We can say Norway, right? A, a, a guy from Norway got a hold of us on Facebook and said, hey, we like you guys. We happen to have some decent bandwidth today because apparently that's spotty. That's one of the issues with downloading in Antarctica. And yeah, it's done. We're downloaded there. Plus, yeah. we have another crew that has discussed. They weren't sure if they're going to be able to download, but they were going to download our episodes prior to going. And then play us and listen to our show while in Antarctica. So we're counting that as a double win. Yeah, I mean, that's, we go from nobody to at least two. So, yeah, I want to give a huge that, shout out to the uh, gentleman from Norway who's currently listening to this. We appreciate you listening. And to the other people who reached out to us, they're going to be going to Antarctica in October. We appreciate you also. Guys, I don't know if I can uh, keep on this podcast. I thought this was going to be a little thing, but... Y'all are two celebrities I'm, I'm hearing right now. Oh, I, th I thought he literally meant like he had to go. I'm like, well, damn, Eric. <laughs> it's only 10 minutes in. <laughs> so let's say, Eric, for argument's sake, that two guys come in that look like a bunch of homeless guys. And they're like, hey, we got this thing where we want to talk to somebody on the space station. What exactly would you do next? Well, I'd, I'd have you schedule, sit down. Get some police coming on the way and, and uh, <laughs> get you guys the good stuff. Okay, so what if they said, oh, by the way, we're well-known in Antarctica as well? <laughs> yeah, if we tell them to turn the lights on. <laughs> uh, good to know. I don't know if we have posted that on some social media. I think we were waiting on at least one of those, but I think the cat's out of the bag now. So I know yep. the, the guy from Norway is on there, but I don't know if we had talked about the other one. No, we hadn't talked about the other one, but yeah, the gentleman from Norway did comment one of our Facebook posts and said greetings from Antarctica and he downloaded it. And yeah. I don't want to release any names at this time. Cause like I said, apparently some issues are sensitive. So just know the people that have contacted us that we know you're listening and we love you guys. And thank you very much. So mission 
Antarctica. Check. Mm-hmm. Penguins rocking Words Are Hard shirts and drinking out of uh, Words Are Hard coffee mugs in Antarctica. Check. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole thing. We're big time, Eric. <laughs> Guys, I'm more and more impressed. I need to give me a mug. <laughs> I need to give him some t-shirts. Uh, the socks the, the socks are the hot items, from my understanding. You know, I like to think I've got some fashionable socks working inside. Too, you know? <laughs> yeah, you have to. One of the residents I used to uh, work with, he would always give me a hard time saying, uh, part of knowing you're established is the kind of pattern you've got on your dress socks. So apparently that's a, a big thing. That I imagine Eric right now wearing like a tweed houndstooth jacket and like a bow tie at the moment. Like, mm, yes. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Hit the nail right on the head. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> or Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds. I don't know which one, but it's it's probably one of those two. Yeah, second one's the closest. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, Eric. I look like a bowling ball with a face, so it's not really that big a deal. <laughs> oh, All right. Tommy Ray, the stories that we may have missed. Yeah, so like I said, we, we kind of prepped Eric on this part. This is the stories we may have missed. So, Ben, you got a story for me? I do have a story for you, and this one I do not think is going to upset you or piss you off. We're going to end Mental Health Awareness Month with on a good note, Tom. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that. There are two states now, Utah and Oregon, where they are passing laws to allow mental health days for students. So on July 1st, a law... In Oregon, went into effect giving students five mental health days in a three-month period. And then in 2018, uh, Utah changed the definition of students' quote, valid excuse to miss a day to include an illness which may be mental or physical. So according to a 2017 report by the CDC, suicide is the second leading cause of death for 10 to 34-year-olds. And then a 2017 Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance Report showed that during a 12-month prior to the survey, 19% of high school students had been bullied on school property, and another 7.4% had attempted suicide. So I do think that, you know, we're getting some mental health awareness even in the schools to where it's, you know, if they need to take a mental mental health day, then they uh, have that ability, at least in two states. Tom, your thoughts? I think, I'm not upset, by the way, so let's be clear, I... And I'm glad Eric's on the show. I think I would love to hear his point of view on this. And I'm going to say something that's going to sound unpopular. And I am totally help. Mental health is health. That's why we're doing this. We did it. We dedicated this month to doing mental health awareness. Obviously, Ben and I support mental health and we are out to improve care for our patients and always including mental health. I wonder in my head, looking back, I, I did not have a rough time in high school. doesn't mean it was perfect. I just, I didn't have some of the issues that you discussed. So maybe my view on life in high school is slightly skewed. What I will say is at what point does it become a mental health factor, which I am not saying that there are not mental health issues that require mental health days or illness excuse. Let's put it that way. Like, let's say the the kid said I needed to day off because whatever. I I, I have no doubt that that's true and exactly right. But at what point, and this is a fine line and I'm not saying I have the right answer. Are we saying, Hey children, you don't have to learn how to deal with life. You could just call timeout and step back or, when are we going to start saying, no, 
you have to learn how to deal with this. You're young. That's the whole point of socializing while in school is to figure out these things and push forwards. Again, I'm not saying there are not times and places where it's legitimate, but to just say a blanket. Oh, by the way, every three months you get five mental health days just starts to yell to me like, okay, at what point is individual responsibility and teaching that going to become victim to protection? Eric, what do you think? Tom, I have a tendency to agree with you to an extent. There's this thing that I reference a lot when I'm working with students that I may take on who are psychiatry students or speaking with therapists and, and some of the older psychiatric nurse practitioners or psychiatrists out there will understand what I'm talking about, but there's this thing called ego resiliency. And it refers to the very thing that you've discussed is someone's ability to persevere through adversity. And that's one thing that I try to evaluate as I interact with each and every single one of my clients is what is this person's ego resiliency? How likely are they to have a good prognosis in the face of an, an adverse event, such as losing a loved one, being bullied at school, so on and so on. I think there is a fine line, Tom, and I don't have the answer to that either, where we need to be making sure that we're instilling enough support to where they can persevere through adversity so that they can use that later on in life. One thing I do want to point out, I do think the benefit of mental health days could be there for the right people. You'd want to implement, you'd want to look and see, you know, is there a pattern to this kind of behavior that could lead to truancy or other secondary gain with someone missing school? Another thing that, that frankly hasn't been addressed, which I believe is leading to more self-harm in the school-aged children, is, is the effects of social media. Back in the day when, when I was going to school, I could go home and get away from it. There might be some kids at the in the neighborhood that would pick on me or give me a hard time, but it, it wasn't to the point where I'd be getting notifications on my Facebook account or my Twitter account or whatever other social media there is out there. I think addressing and understanding that some kids do need a break. On the other side of it, too, the ability for a kid to go to school may be a break from their stressor. Um, I came from a wonderful home life. Um, my dad was a police officer. My mom was a nurse, and we weren't rich by any means, but you know, I didn't have to worry about whether or not I was going to be eating. Uh, the opportunity for some of these kids to go to school is an escape from their home life. And I don't want this to be construed or, or taken or, or have these mental health days taken advantage of to where we're taking these children out of the place of education and support. Going off what Eric said there, I mean, they, Tom, I don't necessarily disagree with you by any means, but I just think it's a different world that we're living in now than when you and I were in school. Like Eric said, it's it's the society that we've built. It's this immediate gratification society. You know, that's why fast food and, and social media and everything is so huge is because you get that instant gratification. The dopamine hit. Yeah. The flip side of that, however, though, is, you know, cyberbullying is a very real, real aspect and you can't get away from the internet. I mean, you can, but it's much more, much harder to do that now as opposed to when you and I were kids. No, I agree with both of you. I'm not saying that there, I'm not even saying there is a good answer. There may not be a good answer. All right. There may be an answer, but it's not going to make a lot of sense in a lot of ways. I, I, I find myself stuttering thinking about this. Obviously I agree with both. I think that social media has insidiously invaded our lives. And while it's great in some ways, the harms that Eric were just talking about, like I said, I, I didn't, I had a great, 
childhood for the most part. I mean, we it started off a little rocky. We were a little poor in the beginning, but things picked up and, and things ended up okay. And like Eric said, I was lucky, and I recognized that even then. I recognized even then, I wouldn't say I was highly privileged, but I also didn't have to worry about food. Right. And that is an advantage I recognized even then that not every other child enjoyed. However, at the end of the day, if somebody was creating a problem, I also had to learn how to deal with it, which I think is part of why I don't want to say the word successful, but I think I have persevered better in my adult life. And I feel, and I see this in some ways with my own child and other children around me, like the mothers are like, oh God, you know, they do everything for them. I'm like, you aren't helping them. You are taking a learning experience from them in a safe environment, mind you. They're seven. If he falls and hurts himself now, he learns a valuable lesson that's safe versus you coddle him now and he becomes 15 and he thinks he can drive his car fast. Guess fucking what happens at 40 miles an hour in a car wreck. Yeah. And I, I think this is no different mental health wise. Okay. I think we are taking the opportunity for these kids to build and learn life lessons and skills that they can then have with them the rest of their life. And we are stealing that from them. Certainly there are mental health conditions that I believe. And, and honestly, like uh, we went through one, a classmate of one of my sisters killed himself while we were in high school. And I don't mean it was an accidental, he was crying for help and somehow, I mean, this was looking back. I was like, holy shit, that kid was, he had a mission. And I truly think everybody could have done well to have a decompression day for something like that. I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be. But to just say that there's a blanket pink slip. Oh, life's hard. I need a day off. Well, guess what? Eventually, life is going to get harder and there won't be a timeout. And we're taking away the chance for those kids to have that ego perseverance that Eric talked about that says, hey, I've fallen down before. I can get back up and, and move along. I don't want them the first time having a major traumatic experience not being able to figure out that they're going to live through it. And so I know that's probably going to come off poorly to some people, but, and it's not meant to be in any way. I support mental health a hundred percent. I've been through some stuff. I just think that perhaps this may not be the most appropriate use of this type of situation. Yeah. And one thing I want to add to that too, Tom, when we look at symptomology associated with mental health disorders, humans, we're pack animals. We want to be a part of something. We want to be part of a group. If, if you go back and you look at Eric Erickson's theory of psychosocial development, when we hit those teenage years, we're trying to not only figure out who we are, but we associate ourselves with individuals. My concern would be if we do have a, a young person who is struggling, whether it be depression, uh, suicidal thinking, anxiety, I don't necessarily believe that the best course of action is to pull them away from additional support and to further isolate them from friends. Afraid of like ostracizing them, basically. Well, not only necessarily that, but social isolation is a symptom of depression. And one thing that I talk about with my patients a lot are the very thing that depression makes us want to do, we have to do the opposite. If depression makes it to where you don't want to wake up and, and take a shower, you do it anyways. If depression makes you not want to go to work or school, you find a way to do it anyways. Because when we surround ourselves with people 
prognostically things are going to be better. That's one of the benefits of group psychotherapy. When I did inpatient psychiatry work, that's why we wanted patients out on the unit. We wanted them having those interactions, even if they weren't necessarily the best. We know that interactions amongst humans are very important to recovery and wellness. And I have a couple cattle. When we see a cow out in the field and it's off by itself away from the herd, that's typically not a good thing. And I think the same thing can be said, and it may be oversimplified, but the same thing can be said in humans. There's a benefit to having that emotional interaction. Well, I can't wait to read the emails where they're like, hey, Eric called me a cow. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think you misunderstood the point. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Wouldn't be the first time, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I had to mute. I was laughing. When you first said ego resilience, now I'm not laughing at that term. There's a movie called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Has either of you seen that? Straight up, I haven't. No. No, okay. Well, there's a part in the movie, you'd have to watch it, but they're on a spaceship because obviously Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the girl said, I think there's something important on the ship. He goes, if it's more important than my ego, I wouldn't have found it shot immediately. <laughs> and that's all I kept thinking about was like, I got a pretty good ego. I must be pretty resilient. <laughs> so, I want you to think back to yeah. the early 1900s <laughs> and Sigmund Freud's thoughts on ego states and what an ego meant to Sigmund Freud. And that's kind of where the term ego resiliency comes from. Well, actually, Eric, that's why I got you on the show. So you get tell me. I don't want to think. Perfect. <laughs> so- Perfect. <laughs> Oh, wow. All right. Betty, was no, that the answer a, you were looking for? To I, I can see the controversy behind it, and, and the article did mention that there are some parents who are opposed to it and some parents who are supportive of it. And so, I mean, it's it's walking that tightrope and trying to find the right answer. And like you said, there, I don't think any of us necessarily have that, but I think it's at least a step in the right direction toward yeah. recognizing that mental health is a legitimate concern. And you know what? I, I guess ultimately I'm opposed to maybe – blanket deployment of a resource like this because I think it's going to get abused or misused maybe would be the better word. But I think the fact that they recognize that this is a legitimate issue that needs to be discussed and taken care of is a, like you said, a positive step. And I'm, I'm all for that. So even I would rather make a mistake in trying to do the right thing then sit back and sit out with a thumb on my ass and do nothing and then fail. If they make a mistake and it doesn't go perfectly, but they're trying way better, way better than these other states that are like, hey, we got children uh, getting semi-automatic rifles and shooting up schools because they got mental health issues, but we're not going to address them. Eh, maybe at some point, mental health needs to become a little more prominent. And I applaud them for trying. There you go. Okay. Are you ready to slide into the rest of our episode now, Tom? I don't know. Are we? Eric, are you yeah. ready for this? Guys, I'm ready if y'all are ready. This is where you you make the choice between the red and the blue pill. We just see how far this rabbit hole goes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to start just because there are some people that, granted, our show is supposed to be directed toward advanced practice providers, so NPs and PAs, but there may be people out there who don't necessarily know what a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner is and does. So Eric, can you just kind of give us 
some background on, on what that is and, and what it looks like? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great question. So I went to the University of Missouri, Kansas City. It was a hybrid type class. So we did a lot of the, the didactic work online and presented a couple times a semester just to, to do skills check off and different things like that. So my background, when we initiate into the program or we start the program, we take the same courses as family nurse practitioners. So the theory, the pharmacology, and the health assessment courses. Okay. So I really felt like we got a, a pretty good background. Once we get kind of that basic advanced practice education, that's where we steer off and we, we go into specifically psychiatry and psychology and study neurobiology a little bit more, study psychopathology uh, pathology a little bit more, and then take a deeper look at psychopharmacology. So one of the things that was recommended to me, and I do like to share it, I was talking with that nurse practitioner I had the opportunity to observe when I was a psych tech, and I said, hey, I, I really want to do what you do when I grow up. And she looked at me and she said, go work on a medical floor in the emergency department or in the ICU. Go get experience because I want you to be able to look at a psychiatric patient and know if they are physically ill versus mentally ill. And anybody who's worked in the medical field, you guys have an emergency room background, you knew when a patient walked in and they were sick. Yeah. There was something in the air. You could see it in them. And I think the three years that I spent working as an emergency trauma nurse really prepared me. Because when we think about delirium, when we think about other uh, medical conditions that could be causing hallucinatory phenomena or something like that, I think it's important to be able to look and see a patient if they're physically ill or have enough intuition to dig a little bit deeper. So that brings me to another question. Sorry, Tom, and then I'll, I'll let you ask. No, go ahead. That knowing that someone is medically sick versus psychiatrically sick, let's try to oversimplify it here, but is that training that you kind of received through your psychiatric program? The reason I ask is because one of the podcasts that I listen, listen to is uh, Pop Psych 101, which has a licensed therapist on it. And he, one of the things he talks about is as he is going through and talking to patients and doing that, he's always in the back of his mind making sure that it's not something that is medically relevant to where he needs to say, hey, you need to go see your primary provider because I think this is more medical versus uh, psychiatric. Yeah, so the American Psychiatric Association published a diagnostic tree, which I recommend for every early clinician in their psychiatric career. The common theme on both the, on each diagnosis that came through one, the first question you have to ask yourself, is this a medical condition? Can you definitively rule out that this, whatever is going on, is not due to a medical condition? The second, is this due to an illicit substance or a prescribed substance or a prescribed medication? And so absolutely, every person that I look at, I think to myself, is this a medical issue? Having the background of taking the same health assessment courses as the family nurse practitioner group, that was one thing that my professor dug deep into us is, hey, are we ruling out that this is a medical etiology? And so absolutely, uh, when, I, when I meet with patients, I'm, I'm constantly ordering labs and really teasing out if, if these are physical symptoms or these are somatic symptoms uh, of a mental health condition. To say, I remember vividly from ER and working at trauma centers, the, oh, okay, he's seeing things, but he just did LSD a couple hours ago versus the female patient that try to murder her child and you start talking to her and you're like no she's not there this is not a act this isn't a drug 
like that person is legitimately needing help I can't give them. So I think it's awesome that person in your life gave you that advice first. And also, I would like to point out, I am a UMKC grad as well. Go Ruse. So, yeah, go Ruse. I almost yelled that when you said it, too. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going so to have to have awesome. me back on here next year. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, oh, we're going to talk off air. But yeah, <laughs> this is this is a thing. So now that we know, otherwise I'll start rambling. So now that we kind of have an idea of what a mental health nurse practitioner does, where do you find yourself? Like someone wants to see you. Are you working in clinics? Are you working in hospitals? Where are we most likely to find mental health nurse practitioners at? Well, the really cool thing is over the last few years, it's been diversified. As many of you know, not only are we experiencing a primary care shortage, but we're also experiencing a psychiatric shortage across the country. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And and that affects everywhere. That affects primarily outpatient substance abuse treatment centers, outpatient clinic centers, inpatient psychiatric units. And so my history, I've done a little bit of both. I'm currently uh, doing primarily outpatient psychiatry work, which I really enjoy. One of the really neat things, and, and I tell this to all of my patients, hospitals are where people get stable. They don't get well. And so if you have a steady diet of inpatient psychiatry, you never see him get a job. You never see him be a great parent. You never see him graduate from Alcohol Anonymous or Narcotic Anonymous. You see him at their worst. You get them just well enough until the insurance company or hospital administrations want you to kick them out the door. And so I like outpatient work. Man, it's really neat to see them grow and, and just do great things in society and be productive members of society. So I like the fact that you kind of have a background as far as some of the same courses that a family nurse practitioner would take as far as the health assessment and, and the classes like that. I wish that there was, and I've said this before, I wish there was more psychiatric medicine in a FNP program because, you know, as you well know, I'm sure a lot of patients, because of the stigma of going to quote unquote mental health, they will respond, they will go to their, their family provider and try to get help there. I did not realize whenever I was going through clinicals and when I first got out of school that 60, 70% of what I'm taking care of in the clinic, yes, it may be an acute illness, but there's still some mental health aspects attached to that. So I mean, I just wish that I, I'd like that you had that background. I just wish that there was more of the psychiatric background in the FNP program. So my question then would be, what are your thoughts on those in family practice prescribing antidepressants and anxiety medications, psychotropic medications, things of that nature. We, we do it out of necessity. I had a psychiatrist uh, talk with me one time and, and he said, Eric, for every depressed patient out there, it would be great if they could see a board certified psychiatry provider. But that's not the world that we live in. I think there are a lot of rating scales that can be utilized to, to kind of help you all at your job. But the fact of the matter is I get an hour to do psychiatric evaluations and I have 20-minute follow-ups. For my peers working in the family practice setting, how many times have you guys had an hour to spend and talk with your patient? Uh, never. Not much. Yeah, I would say zero. <laughs> yeah, and I'm specifically targeting mental health symptoms. And so to get back to your question, sorry, I have a tendency to ramble as well. No, you're fine. You're fine. He's got to fit in so well. <laughs> No, thanks. Uh, to answer your question, I encourage. I hand out my cell phone number to family practice providers. 
so they can call me directly to see if they need to work in one of their patients. If not, you know, I share current literature. We talk about kind of what the practice recommendations are for a variety of different mental health issues. And I empower them to trust their judgment, trust their intuition, and initiate treatment because we have to. There are not enough board-certified psychiatric providers. We need our peers in primary care and family medicine to step up to the plate and help. Because I was thinking, I saw a documentary. It's called Code Black. Not like the television show. Don't ever <laughs> do that to me or watch that. But it's a legitimate documentary called Code Black. It's on Los Angeles County's emergency room where modern emergency medicine as we know it was born. And, and it was funny because the specific example they used is that hospital, like every hospital in America, did not have an emergency room. And so whoever was walking by, and in this one case, they were retelling the story, it was a psychiatrist. And the person was having chest pain. And they were clearly going and having a heart attack. And they're like, hey, help this guy. He's like, what am I going to do? You know, he's like, but he was who was there. And that's how they treated ER medicine. Whoever was there caught the case. And that's how you dealt with it. And over time, they recognized, hey, ER medicine needs to be developed, etc. I know, obviously, we recognize psychiatry. I just think as time goes on, we will start to perhaps embrace it more and take it that next step. And I think... Hopefully, in the future, we will see a beefing up of our ability to take care of mental health patients. One of the questions, and I'm sorry, I just, when he said, the, you know, you take care of whoever gets it, I was like, yeah, I've seen that in reverse. One of my questions for you then is, well, I guess it's a two-parter. One, what are some things you suggest to mental or primary care for taking care of mental health or making that initial decision on medication? And two, what do you see the future of mental health and family? Do you think we would ever perhaps merge or maybe we make mental health a stronger component and we make everybody family nurse? Like, what do you think about those two things? Well, first, my recommendation to any person who's treating mental health disorders, and I could talk about this forever, so I'm going to keep it brief. Have a good idea of what you're treating. There's a couple of things you don't want to miss on. You don't want to miss on somebody who has bipolar disorder and you put them on an SSRI, which could be stimulating to them. Everybody thinks about SSRI-induced mania. My concern is the SSRI-induced mixed episodes, where we have someone who has depressive symptoms in combination with manic symptoms. That phase of illness is the highest phase of suicide completions. So bipolar mixed episodes, we want to be evaluating for a history of a manic episode. You can utilize the mood disorder questionnaire to do that. Otherwise, trust your intuition, initiate treatment. And if you're starting to think that you're out of, outside of your comfort zone or you may not know what's going on, find a way to get them into psychiatry. Okay. To answer the second part of it, I think integration between all branches of the medical field is, is incredibly important. We do that at where I work. I have internal med physicians, internal med nurse practitioners come knock on the door and ask me to lay five minutes on that patient. For me, does that delays me getting my charting done? That may make me run behind. But five minutes with someone who is trained in psychiatry can be the difference between a, a medication mistake and getting them off on the right step. It also gives me a chance to do a quick triage assessment and determine if this patient needs to go to the hospital or if this patient can wait to see me in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. But I think integration amongst the medical team is is going to be the most important thing. I had a question, and then my mind just went blank. <laughs> is that dementia, Eric? Yeah, keep... uh, it happens to me all the time, so I hope not. So, Eric, what would you say top five things that you routinely see 
like in a given week? Like, like do you have certain things that you see a, a lot of and, and what would those be? Yeah. So uh, major depressive disorder is common. It, it's one of the higher prevalence of the disease states of mental health, anxiety disorders. I have a lot of people coming in telling me they have panic disorder, but they actually don't meet diagnostic criteria for panic disorder. Unfortunately, practicing in Kansas, there are very high rates of physical sexual abuse. I do see a lot of trauma-related disorders as well. Do you see much substance abuse? Oh, yeah, I left that one out, Ben. Absolutely. One of the things that I do enjoy doing is I, I do work with addiction treatment services. I am a waivered buprenorphine prescriber. Uh, substance nice. abuse is kind of near and dear to my heart. I, I, I do like working with people in recovery and people who are coming in and out of recovery. I say I just recently got my uh, Suboxone waiver as well. I haven't started on that front, but where we live, there is a high amount of narcotic. Because I, obviously I live far away from Ben now, and that's good because it's way better here. Uh, <laughs> but um, we have a large IV narcotic heroin use here. So Suboxone's kind of been something I knew I needed to have that tool in my tool bag. But I'm kind of, wait a second. You're doing mental health and you're not seeing a lot of Capgra or Catard syndrome is what you're telling me? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, oh, see? Now uh, I want to do it. I want to I want to talk to that guy. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I feel cuz like when I when you're in the ER, everybody thinks every day is like well the show. And I'm like, "No, most of the time it's 3 a.m. toe pain." <laughs> you, yeah. you know. It's, so I'm <laughs> You're an emergency room nurse for the 1% of the time. It's a honest to yeah. God, full-blown mer- emergency. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I try to tell people all the time. No, no, no. Most of the time it's, I've, I felt sick for three hours and decided to go to the ER. So Yeah. And but, that's not to minimize the importance of adequately treating depression or adequately diagnosing bipolar disorder. Just imagine for a second. You spend your entire life depressed and you go in and out of mental health providers or you see a variety of primary care people and nothing ever gets better. You're not to the point of of where you're wanting to commit suicide on a daily basis, but you're just fine. You're unable to really enjoy or get satisfaction from the wonderful things that are around you. Some of my best work has been adequately treating depression, which seems like such a, a minute thing, but to get someone who's been depressed for 20 years to come back to your office and tell you, I enjoyed the sunshine today, as mm. silly as that sounds, it's incredible. And they'll, they'll cry and it's hard not to get emotional when you have those kind of responses. Wow. I can see, I, I, I can, yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to say I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to sound like I was minimizing those other conditions. I just think especially like when you listen to show like I love pop psych as well. Sometimes we hear or focus like when you watch a movie, everybody talks about multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder, but nobody really talks about the grinding work it takes to treat major depressive disorder. Oh, yeah. I, so sometimes I think it gets lost in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, one of the things that is one of the biggest uh, improvements in, in people's lives is just bringing up total satisfaction. We, we talked about dopamine and the nucleus accumbens. That can be an incredibly powerful thing. And, and I didn't take it as if you were minimizing it or anything else like that, but sometimes it's the subtle things that, that make the job 
absolutely worth doing. Hmm. Like I said, yeah, I can see the the personal satisfaction of that. I mean, I, I get some of that on the medical side of it too. I've had patients come to me who've seen multiple other providers and then we're able to finally figure out a treatment option that's working for them or we are able to finally give them a diagnosis and that relief that they feel and that it's kind of a kind of makes you bug your chest up a little bit and you're like, yeah, I, I was able to actually help somebody. I was humble, you know, I was able to, to impact their lives positively and make things better. So I, I think that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, Tom, any final questions for Eric before we get into our last segment? Yeah, so I had a dream the other night, right? And I was covered in baloney. I'm joking. <laughs> I don't do I don't do dream interpretation. Uh, it's a slippery slope, and I am not near well qualified enough I, for that. Especially when you're covered in baloney, Eric. When you're covered, <laughs> it's slippery all over the place. Okay, maybe that's why she was throwing Jello at me. She wanted me to be slippery. I don't know. Nothing I'm, good comes from baloney. <laughs> No, <laughs> Belodia Jello in a baby pool. It's it just it's fun for everybody. Um, that does not sound fun at all. Well, Ben, you weren't there, so live a little. Yeah, Thanks. I would say he might have been in the stands clapping. By the way, I was in front of a lot of people. Did I say that part? So I'm just, I'm even better. <laughs> I think I would rather shit in my hands and clap than watch that. So. <laughs> I was wearing a cape for some reason. <laughs> I was joking. <laughs> Okay. I'm gonna have uh, okay. And get you diagnosed and get you on some. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Eric didn't realize we were bringing him on the air for the free treatment. So, Eric, <laughs> what's it mean? No. So, I'm a new nurse practitioner. So, what are some? Let's focus on this. We've talked about some of the things we should do. What are some things we shouldn't do? Like, give me, give me some of the big pitfalls that you want a new nurse practitioner in family medicine to try and avoid to help you help the patient? First thing that I think is incredibly important, don't ask your patients for the medications that have worked in the past if you don't want to hear the answer. Okay. I treat people in psychiatry and I'm saying, hey, what's worked for anxiety in the past? And they're like, well, I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to think that I'm drug seeking. And I'm like, I'll tell you if I think you're drug seeking. I'm not going to hide it from you. But what's worked? And then they'll tell me Xanax. You guys decide what you want to do with benzodiazepines. I'm, I'm pretty firm on the idea that I'm not going to perpetuate a substance abuse problem. But don't ask questions you don't want the answers to. Number two, rule out bipolar disorder. Don't assume it's always major depressive disorder or unipolar depression. Please do an adequate medical workup. All right. I had someone that I saw, and they were older, female, who came to see me with a report of visual hallucinations. It was a referral from primary care who didn't do any other further workup. Oh, no. And coming to talk with the lady, it really wasn't necessarily visual hallucinations. It was just a kind of a change in her perception field. I mean, you guys tell me, what's the differential for that? Are we going to make the assumption that it's a, a mental health issue when it's atypical that someone of this person's age develops new onset psychosis that is visual by nature, which is like, what, 12% of, the, of people who experience hallucinations, they're visual and not auditory. We know a guy who had an olfactory one, just saying. Yeah, absolutely. That's like, what, half percent to 1%, typically associated with some kind of prefrontal cortex issue. Okay, so make sure we do adequate medical workup. You know what? I really like the don't ask a question that you don't want an answer to. Because yeah. I think that applies to more than mental health. 
I think that oh, applies sure. to a lot of things. And that's one of the things I remember from my Suboxone training was just like you said, I'll tell you if I think you're doing this. You, we have to be honest. You may not like the answers or I may not like the answers, but I need honesty. And so if you're going to ask that question, you have to deal with the repercussions of what you just did. So I find that is a very good piece of advice for us to listen as practitioners, regardless of mental health, is if you ask a question, you better be prepared to deal with whatever the answer may be. Absolutely. But those are the big things for me. I'm actually excited because I know what's coming up. So, Ben, do you have any do you have any last issue? I'm ready to go to our final segment. And Oh, yeah. 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 It's weird because we're asking the mental health guy these questions. I wouldn't <laughs> like later on. He's going to be like my dissertation on why Ben and Tom are crazy. Based on five <laughs> questions. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'll know if he doesn't answer my text messages anymore. Why? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I felt so bad because Ben had texted me and I read it and then I was so busy. I just put my phone down and then boom, it was gone. I was never going to remember it again. And then he texted me a second time and I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Here, let me get back to you. All right. <laughs> All right, here we go, Eric. Just prepare yourself. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the appropriate response. Thank you. So. <laughs> We're going to find out what makes Eric tick. You ready, Eric? I'm ready. All right, question one. What's your favorite medical word or psychiatric? I mean, you know, for in, in your field. Yeah, the, the entire field. Oh, man. Trauma, mental health, whatever. Like, have you ever heard a term and you're like, I really like that? What is it? Tangential. Ooh. Ooh. All right. I like, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Can you use that in a sentence? No, I'm joking. So. <laughs> <laughs> Question two, Eric. If you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, what would it be? Deep sea fishing. Like in the, like... Either be crew, like uh, deep sea fishing, like I watch Wicked Tuna, or fishing in the Gulf being a, a fishing guide, or anything outdoors. I'm going to be real honest. I did not see that coming. Oh, you're welcome. I would, yeah, see, you got me. I was thinking, okay, here it comes, playing for the Chiefs. No, deep sea fishing got me. You know, you know the only thing about that, I like the shows that you listed, I watched the original show that that is based on when it was just like a, almost like a documentary, like they did like yeah. one show on the uh, crab fishermen and then it became this reality show. I was like, oh, I just like their original better. I like being out in the middle of the ocean, not seeing any land and just waiting for something to hit a hit a fishing pole. And, wow. And just chilling out, waiting, having a couple beers, just relaxing. That sounds relaxing and terrifying. <laughs> Oh, no, it's it's pretty sweet. If you haven't done it, you should try it. It's, it's life-changing. Tom, that's probably my favorite question of the five that we ask because that question, like when we had Brian on, and it was like you know, he wanted to be a saxophone player in a jazz band. That question is awesome. I love that question. That's my favorite question that we ask of the five. So I like almost all of them. My favorite is one of the ones, but purely for comedic value, which I think is coming up. So why don't you ask it? All right. Question three, Eric, I want you to think back to your first car. Was it a stylish ride or was it a rolling turd? 
Rolling turd, man. <laughs> See, purely for comedic value, that's my favorite question. So. Oh, man, there used to be this unspecified white smoke that would come up through the air vents. <laughs> my dad told me there was nothing wrong with it. Someone else told me it was antifreeze that was being air a lot, whatever. So, yeah, rolling turd. Oh, God, what was it? I'm thinking like 88 Caprice. <laughs> no, 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 no. So this was this was like a 15 year old Dodge Dakota. I uh, had about 180 thousand miles on it. Window didn't work. You right. could hear me coming from a mile away because it's so loud when you're driving it. Oh, oh man, fantastic. it was it was a shit show. It was a mess. <laughs> did you name it? Did you name your vehicle? Uh, I did. Yeah, I knew it. What was the name? Linda. Oh. No offense to anybody out there named Linda. <laughs> so and ben's gonna know who i'm talking about we have a mutual friend who had i was it was an 88 cutlass had like the diagonal like weird shaped front end yeah. someone stole the it had like the two-piece grill someone stole the grill off of an 88 <laughs> cutlass and he credit to him our friend came out was even that pissed off i was like it's the grillless wonder that's the best name I've ever heard for a car in my life. <laughs> Watching this 88 Cutlass drive around town with no grill. Oh, it's the best thing I've ever seen. Okay, so that's how I knew. I was like, he's got a name for it. I know he's got a name. Oh, of course. All my all my cars are named after a girl. So that's just that's just my thing. Probably some kind of weird psycho evaluation coming up later on that. But yeah. All right. Question four. Question four. If your house is on fire and everyone, including your pets, are safe. What's the one thing that you want to get out of your house? Oh, man, I'm going to try not to get too gushy with this answer, but probably all the pictures from my wedding. Okay. I mean, all the other stuff I can buy new. But when I get old and I can't remember who I am, I want to be able to look at something and say, man, that was a hell of a good looking guy married to a hell of a good looking woman. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I would say that was assaultingly mushy. <laughs> but but the end come around i like the end of it the end was no, yeah i get it and that honestly that's why questions two and four it's hard for me to pick but because you learn something about someone every time that they say oh i could do whatever or the pressure's on you get to pick one thing what means yeah. the most to you 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 learn something about them and i guess it's wedding pictures that is a very popular answer is it really yeah it really is but you know it's you can't replicate i mean it's the once in a lifetime thing. Yeah, our boys, our mind's going to fail us. If we live long enough and our internal medicine people can take care of us, uh, keep our bodies going, our minds will fail us. And that's probably the biggest thing that I'm scared about huh. is when that time comes, because uh, it's going to happen unless a yeah. stroke or a heart attack or something kills us first. Right. Diabetes, our minds are going to fail us. And you know, I want to hold on to everything I can. That makes sense. I'm afraid of spiders. So, <laughs> so that's legit by the way i'm scared shitless of spiders man I you're will, a grown you're a grown man i'm a grown ass grown ass man and i'll tell you right now this is no fucking joke i don't know if i've said this on the air but i will bring megan back on the air sometime to verify this i was sitting on the toilet in the bathroom and i saw a big ass spider crawl over by where the sink was and yelled for her to come in there and kill it because i was like oh hell no I am scared, terrified of spiders. Yeah. Like, it's a legit, like, oh, no, I can't. I'm embarrassed it. for you. You should be. It's fucking <laughs> disgusting. But I'm telling you, I can't deal with spiders. 
They, they're little. They crawl into your sleep. They bite you. Your fucking hand falls off. That is bullshit. No, I'm not dealing with those things. Mm-mm. So, anyways, uh, before we turn this into Tom's five questions, you yeah, know, right? Eric, get this right, last question out. Last question, clear. Question five. You have $9.18 in your pocket. What all do you buy? Mm. Ah. Don't overthink it, Eric. This is what I was telling you pre-production. Just just go. Just go. I'm going to tell you the first thing that popped into my head. Okay. A 12-pack of Bush Light. There you go. I almost said skull at a 40 ounce. I almost said that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> I know where you live. I've been there. <laughs> As my taste of matures, I've uh, gotten older. You know, Bush Light's not a bad beer. And I don't know if you guys saw this. They're coming out with a new package label, Bush Latte. I'm embarrassed for both of you. L A T T E. It's amazing. Yeah, oh gosh. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, on that note. So. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. On that note, if you enjoyed the show and liked what you heard and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. Twitter and YouTube at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web, www.justsomepodcast.com. Email us. Tell us you like Bush Beer too, just to embarrass Tom. Admin at justsomepodcast.com. Eric, is there anything you want to shout out or you want people to know about or anything before we get off the air? I've got nothing, y'all. That's perfectly, that's, that's a great answer. That is <laughs> awesome. Me, I just had a blast. I already know we're going to have Eric back on the show. One, because we didn't even cover the second half of what we wanted to talk about. We just had (laughs) so much fun talking about Cotard syndrome and stuff like that. Second, mental health is very important. Eric's obviously an awesome guy. We need to get him back on the show sometime. So I will save a lot of my stuff for the upcoming barrage that we're going (laughs) to give him next time. Because the next time I'm not going to take it easy. I'm like, oh, you know the drill, Eric. Like, let's go. All right. You guys got no. me broke in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But uh, I had I had a great time and I can't wait to have him back on the show sometime soon. I agree. All right. Well, hey, you know what? On that note, I don't know what we're going to cover next week, but we, this is wrapping up our month of mental health awareness. Hashtag mental health awareness. Hashtag mental health is health. So hopefully with the information that we have provided, we are uh, helping to break that stigma of getting mental health. Tom, like I said, I don't know what we're going to cover next week, but I'm sure it'll be fun and exciting, right? Capgraw delusion. <laughs> it's, well, it's where everyone's replaced by somebody else's imposter syndrome type thing. Correct. I told you, I know the the stuff that like I'm never going to see. That's the <laughs> stuff I remember. So, <laughs> huh. All right. Well, hey, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> you should see Ben's face. He's like, what the fuck just I, happened? <laughs> it's like uh, if he just watched an eight year old paint the Mona Lisa, like, did I just see that? Like, <laughs> just this is synergism right here. This is <laughs> this is mind melting. This is a, a whole bunch of cool stuff happening. He said synergism. So that might be my new medical word. <laughs> Every once in a while, Tom's brain cells get together and they make a complete thought and it just surprises the hell out of me. So. Well, fuck you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, hope everybody has a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. If I make out you get me right, I got one go.
down 